0: Did you know it's estimated that the average person will work 90,000 hours through the course of your lifetime? To put it another way, that's 3,750 consecutive straight days, 10 and a third straight years. This is roughly a third of the average person's waking hours that you will give to work. A third of your awake life will be spent given to work. This does not project, this, this projection does not include the work that you do that you're not paid for. Mowing the grass, doing your taxes, building a Valentine's Day box for your son and making 15 very sticky, very intricate Valentine's Day cards at 10 p.m. the night before school because your son said, and I quote, I am too tired to walk or to stand. <laughs> Those 90 hours do not include that hypothetical situation a large percent of our day and our time and our lives will be given to work and Paul has something to say about that to us we studied the past few weeks this is what set up the last two sermons is Ephesians chapter 5 verses 18 through 21 it says don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves. Making music to the Lord in your heart. And give thanks to God, to, give thanks in everything to God in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This filled life this life that is consistently seeking the presence of God and the power of his spirit. And these three verses have a few defining factors. One is expressive worship, the type of worship we just did, the type of worship that Vicki, that you were telling me about, that you were doing before you came here to church, turning on your radio and listening to the worship and praising and thanking God. The spirit-filled life is an expressive worship life. The spirit-filled life is a thankful heart. Give thanks to everything to God. The spiritful life is a thankful heart. And lastly, a spirit filled life has relationships that are marked by this term, humility or submission. And we've looked at the idea of submitting to one another in the te- context of a husband and wife and marriage relationship, we've looked at it at the child and the parent dynamic. But today, Paul finishes this section in Ephesians with one last important relationship. A third of your life will be given to it. 90,000 hours, 3,750 days, 10 years, and a third of your life. The worker and the boss relationship. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. What is a Christian? What defines? What makes up? How could you describe a Christian employee and the Christian employer? Amen? Amen. Oh my gosh, where did everybody go? Amen, amen, Amen. praise God. Can you please stand with me as we read our guiding text in today's word? This is Ephesians chapter six, verses five through nine, and I'm reading out of the NLT version today. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm, as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them. Remember you both have the same master in heaven And he has no favorites. Holy Spirit, would you just come right now? Would you just begin to open our hearts, to clear our ears, God? Would this text begin to take life and and make sense to us and give us practical ways, God, to live this next week? Lord, would you come and speak to us? In Jesus' name, amen. You can go ahead and grab a chair. Thank you. Well, you might be thinking, whoa, 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 whoa. I thought you were talking about employees and employers, and the text we just read was slaves and masters, and that's not the same thing, right? So I just want to give a few quick disclaimers at the very top of this message, top of this teaching before we keep going. Number one, Paul's words here do not promote or show his agreement of slavery. Slavery, while it's terrible and heinous at all times, in the Old uh, in, in the ancient world, it had pockets where it wasn't the same thing that we in our midwestern, with our history in this country, of it. It's not the same, quite the same thing. Largely through the efforts of Christianity, there were times where slavery would be more, better contextualized as indentured servanthood. It still wasn't good, still wasn't great. The Bible never, ever condones or agrees or, you show it supports it. The Bible, slavery is always discouraged, and you see this negative trend of supporting slavery in the Bible. It's never something to get cited about. In one case, in one of the shortest books of the whole Bible, Onesimus, Paul strongly plays the guilt card and the pressure card on one master to release his slave Onesimus so that Onesimus might come and his, join his friend Paul in the ministry. So in this text, Paul's not condoning slavery, but he's speaking to a culturally common occurrence that was pervasive everywhere. And this, what Paul is doing, it's a very Jesus y thing that he's doing. In a time where men literally thank God for making me a man and not a woman or a slave or a dog literal prayer. This was a time where people would not give lesser class citizens attention, not speak to them. Jesus always turned and gave the lesser class the attention. He always gave them focus. And Paul's doing the same thing here by turning his focus and speaking to the slave-master relationship. So for our consideration today, the words that we're going to switch out for slave and master are the worker and the boss. And for our context and our culture and the lessons that we can glean from what Paul is speaking about, this makes a lot more sense and works for us today. So from this point on, when we talk about From here on out, we'll say worker and boss instead of slave and master language. And hopefully that makes sense. Paul was not condoning this, but he was speaking to a people in a culturally relevant, prevalent system. And he was ministering to them. Okay, does that make sense? Are we good to move on from here? Again. Come on, people. Don't make me rile you up every step of the way. Are we good? Yes. All right. Verse 5. Slaves. Obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them as sincerely as you would serve Christ. This may be familiar language and hopefully it's familiar territory for us at this point. Once again, Paul is calling for relationships to be marked by this trademark word, which is honor. Children, honor your parents. Marriage relationships should be marked by love and respect or another word would be honor. And here, too, in the workplace, there should be a cultivation of honor. Workplaces, though, I want you to think right now, is my play, workplace, would I categorize it as a place that cultivates honor, that builds up instead of tearing down, that gives the, uh, uh, the boss or the authority and position that, that's, that trusts them, that builds them up, that supports them very, very, very infrequently. I've had quite a few jobs in the secular world or in the marketplace world. Very rarely would I be in a place that ever built or cultivated a culture of honor. More often than not, instead of a culture of honor, it was a toxic workplace that threw shame and teared, and teared down the infrastructure instead of building it up. Oftentimes in the secular world, there's not a support for the leadership, but a distrust for leadership. And far more often than building up, there's a work culture that champions uh, whispers behind closed doors. Going behind people's backs and putting a nice smile, but when the authority structure walks away, you think, can you believe? Can you believe this guy? Did you get that email? Did you, see what the, did you see the typo? I can't believe it. This guy's an idiot. Can you believe? They just put anybody in place here. I can't believe I have to work for this kind of person. And much more often... Then a culture of honor, we see this culture that just tears down and pulls away. Well, you might be saying, well, you don't know my boss, and you're right, I don't know your boss. But Paul was calling slaves who had no financial compensation, no physical motivation, no earthly thing to gain to still respect and honor the authority structures in their life. What Paul is teaching here at the very beginning is this maxim that's repeated throughout the Bible again And again, listen very closely here. How we live in the world determines how we will approach the spiritual. How we live in the world determines how we will approach the spiritual. The Bible teaches that how you treat others is how you treat Christ. How you treat a child is how you treat Christ. How you treat your wife is how you treat Christ. How you treat a popular person versus an unpopular person is how you treat Christ. How you love others or do not love others is how you will love Christ. And here Paul teaches us that how you treat your employer, a lesser authority in your life, is a reflection of how you will approach Jesus, the ultimate authority in your life. Is this making sense? Is this seeking in? Hopefully it is. That submission means, literally means, to live within the hierarchy of authority around you. At one point in Jesus' ministry, the religious leaders of the time were trying to trap Jesus in, in his teaching. And they asked them basically, should we pay taxes? Is it lawful to pay taxes to this oppressive Roman citizenship that has, that's, that's stepping on our necks? Should we or should it all go to God? Jesus' answer is to give Caesar what Caesar's and to give God's what God. That you submit to the culture, you submit to the authority that's been around you. And so that means that you honor it, you push it up, you don't tear it down. Because we can honor the position even if the people are not honorable. Because maybe you really do have a Michael Scott type of boss, someone completely unqualified, rightly a terrible leader, But when you begin to build a culture of honor, building up instead of tearing down, giving significance to the position, not the person, you will begin to gain an audience with them. You will begin to be able to gain uh, rapport with them. You'll be able to gain a place of position of influence on the authority, that you'll be able to speak out what they should be, what they could be, what you hope they be instead of what they are. We talked about this in the context of the marriage relationship, so so oftentimes we're not the people that we want to be, but a culture of honor says, I know who you are, and so I'm calling that out. How you reacted to the kids, that was in anger, and it was not good. You punished out of frustration, but I know that's not who you are, I know that's not who God's calling you to be, and so you're calling it out. Honor builds up instead of tearing down. And so often we are placed under authority structures that are not good, that treat us poorly or unfairly or unjustly, but your call, my call as the Christian employee is to still build up instead of tearing down. The person that does not join in with the whispers behind closed doors, you are the person that will not sit or not stand or participate with the mockers, as the Bible says it. What it means is that you will not participate in a toxic situation that will take away authority to the people that have the positions of authority. And this is very difficult because it requires a tremendous amount of humility and submission. Because our bosses are people just like us, and they 100% do not get it right, 100% will lead out of unhealth one day and make the wrong decision and say the wrong thing and do things that are incredibly frustrating. But your job is not to dictate what they do. Your job is to do what they want you to do and to honor them in the process. Just to be clear, your boss's authority does not trump God's authority in your life, though. There have been presidents and bosses and leaders and pastors and other people of high influence in my life that I cannot follow because something that they are saying to do goes against the way of Jesus. There was a time that the natural leaders and authority of the time grabbed some of the disciples and threw them in jail. And they released them with this one thing. You can go back, but stop talking about Jesus. And so what did the disciples do? They got back on the streets and they immediately started speaking about Jesus again. Because earthly structure and earthly authority does not trump God's authority in your life. But oftentimes, and here's the catch, earthly authority will not make you cross that boundary. It's just really, really junky to follow it. You know it's the wrong thing. You know it's the stupid move. From your point of view, you understand. You can see that it's the wrong thing, but you are still called not to make the decisions, but you are called to honor the position, even if the person running it is not doing a great job. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear and serve them as you would serve Christ. How people treat people in the natural is how your heart is positioned towards God in the supernatural. If you disrespect your boss, you will find it hard and you will struggle to respect God in your life. If you fail to listen and to do what your boss says, you'll find that when God calls you to do something, obeying him is a struggle for you. And if you speak poorly about your boss, you'll find that honoring God with your lips is merely just words and not really an attitude of your heart. And people will see through it and see through your shallow sham. What you do in the physical, what you do here in the natural influences the spiritual. Verse 6, try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. What Paul is calling the worker here to do is to approach their work with a certain type of attitude. And that attitude is to live their life, to do their work with integrity. Make your public life match your private life. What you do in front of other people is the same as when you're alone. You know, be who you are in public as you are in private, be the same person all the time. During COVID pandemic, when everything was shutting down and more and more people were working remotely, uh, a certain device became extremely popular. It's called a mouse jiggler. Companies unable to monitor employees in person quickly began switching to monitoring their employees remotely by watching their computer screen activity. They're able to determine that if your computer was active or your mouse was moving, that you were working. And so they would start tracking hours by how active you were on the screen. So a device became, it was invented before this, but became much, much more popular during the COVID and shutdowns and remotely working called a mouse jiggler. And what you do is you take, you buy this device, you put your mouse on it and it jiggles it. So that you could go to the golf course, and you're still working. So that you could take a nap, and you're still working. So you could go take a shower or go do something else, and you're still counted as working. Friends, a Christian has no need for a mouse jiggler. Can you say that? I don't need a mouse jiggler in my life. Turn to somebody right now and tell them that right now. Interestingly enough, mouse jiggler was Roger's high school nickname. I don't know what that means. A Christian has no need for a mouse jiggler. We are who we are, whether our bosses are around or not. Live a life of integrity means that your public life will match your private life. I love what the psalmist says in Psalms 26. He says, one through three, he says, declare me innocent, Oh, Lord, for I have acted with integrity. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Put me on trial, Lord. Cross-examine me. Test my motives and my heart. For I am always aware of your unfailing love. and I have lived according to your truth. What an honest prayer that I would be scared to pray. Lord, cross-examine me and just test me. Because my private life is also the same as my public life. Often there's a discrepancy between what we do when, no one, when we think no one sees us and what we do when we think everyone sees us, but Paul is calling the worker, the employee, to live a life of integrity. Last week, I went to a gathering of pastors in our district, and it was like 300 people. And every time I do that, whenever I'm around with other ministry people, inevitably I find somebody that's a pastor's kid. Somebody that their parents were missionaries, their parents were in ministry, their parents also planted a church or led a church. And whenever I find a minister that is a child of another minister, a pastor's kid, a missionary kid, I always like to ask them this question. What did your parents do that made ministry still attractive to you? Because I've known and heard and seen so many children of ministers that end up leaving the church, leaving the Lord, never, ever going to step into that vocation because something in their childhood made it so disdainful. So whenever I see somebody that was a pastor's kid, that their parents were ministers to, I always want to know, what did your parents do that made it an open door still to you? And the number one most consistent answer that I almost always get back, almost word for word, is that who my parents were on stage, they were at home too. Meaning that they had a life that was lived with integrity. They didn't just preach things and share things and teach things and lead things. That who they were in public matched their private life. And it made Jesus attractive to them. It made the ministry something they want to get behind. It made it something that they want to do. And didn't turn them away from it. Friends, the Christian... The Christian employee, the person that follows Jesus, is the same whether we are being monitored or not monitored. We work because we work for God's glory, not just for the people around us, not just good enough. We do the best we can. The Christian employee works diligently and hard, because, not because the boss is around or because people are watching, because we are who we are. Our private life will match our public life. When Jesus was teaching religious leaders on some of this stuff in Luke chapter 16, he says, "If you are faithful in the little things, you will be faithful in the large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. If you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not a faithful with other people's things, why should we? Be, why should you be trusted with things of your own? How we live in the world." determines how we will approach the spiritual. A life of integrity means that who you are in private is who you are in public. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you, but as slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. When we are honest and good stewards of the things in the physical and the secular world, then we qualify ourselves for more authority and more it's responsibility in the spiritual world as well. I've met people and seen people and know people that 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 have great that move very publicly in ministry. Really great, powerful prayer sounding prayers. They put their hands up and they worship and they speak in tongues and they get in the prayer language, and they're the people that want to jump and get excited and post a lot on their Facebook. But they are the worst and last person that I'd ever put on my work team because they're terrible workers. They, they don't want to work. They don't show up on time. They don't work hard. They can't be trusted. They can't be trusted with the physical worldly things. And so what God and Jesus and everybody else is saying here is that to be a good steward of the spiritual, you also must be a good steward of the natural. Can you handle what God's given you just in the natural? Can you, can you be honest with how you lead and how you handle money and how you steward your time? Can you live a life that if everybody could see it all the time, you wouldn't be ashamed to live? That's what Paul's calling us to. In verse 7, he moves from a life of integrity to your work ethic. Work with enthusiasm, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Friends, the Christian employee should be the best employee a boss could ever have. A Christian employer is, or a Christian employee is marked by respecting the boss's position. They are marked by the fact that their work habits are consistent, whether people are monitoring them or not. And the Christian employee is marked by good, enthusiastic work effort. If you're able to take it right now, just give yourself an internal assessment. From 1% to 100%, when you show up tomorrow morning, what percentage do you normally apply to your job? How much of yourself do you bring to the work that you do? Whether it's meaningful work or just a stepping stone job you're in right now, are you giving it your best effort? Are we enthusiastic in our demeanor? I want to tell you about a guy in the secular world that's not far from here. His name is Mr. Taco Bell. (coughs) In our town at the local Taco Bell, there's a guy named Eric. And he's gained the reputation in the community as Mr. Taco Bell. There's been multiple times. How many of you guys are on an In My Town Facebook page? Anybody? One, two, three, maybe. Okay. Some of you. If you don't know, most of your towns have a What's Happening in Sycamore, Huntley, Pingree, Gove, Elgin page. And it's a lot of complaining. Like, the city didn't do this or, you know, this. Or somebody let their cat out again. Or I shot your cat that you keep letting out. Stuff like that. But... This guy's name, Mr. Taco Bell, Eric, has popped up in the time that we've lived in Sycamore, I would say at least four to six to seven times that I've seen it pop up in my feed. And I want to read to you something that I scrolled back. I just did a quick search, Eric Taco Bell guy, on the chat, and I found this was the first one that popped up, and I just want to read it to you, word for word. This was somebody in our community that posted this. Okay, y'all, Mr. Taco Bell is at it again. Yes, I'm going to call him Mr. Taco Bell. Yes, I know his real name is Eric. I was with a party of teenage girls headed out for a long day of activities. We decided that we should eat before going, so settled on Taco Bell. I, of course, had heard of the wonderful Taco Bell drive through guy, but we were going in, so as sad as I was, I didn't expect to meet Mr. Taco Bell himself. We walked in and was instantly greeted with a huge smile, arms up, with Mr. Taco Bell saying, (laughs) you're here, and that makes me so happy. I replied with my arms up. Why, yes, we sure are. You must be the famous Taco Bell guy everyone's talking about, and I see why. I instantly knew it was him with how warming his welcome was, how we got to chatting a little bit, and he paid for our meal. In fact, instead of it, instead of, uh, in fact, insisted on it. Seriously, he was so kind. Those girls sat there and had a whole conversation about it's so nice to see good people in this world and discussed ways to pay it forward with their actions. Mr. Taco Bell, you, sir, are a great young man and keep it up. Can we give a hand for Mr. Taco Bell? Maybe he's streaming today. <laughs> That's so stupid. Guys, more, you know, Mr. Taco Bell, is he displaying and modeling a fundamental key of the characteristic of faith that workers work with enthusiasm? Or to put it a different way, we work with a good work ethic. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 through 12, Paul is teaching on work ethic again. He says, make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Then, people who are not believers will respect the way you live, and you will not need to depend on others. Here's a guy at Taco Bell that has more renown in our community than anybody else I don't know. (laughs) Here's a guy that he is so marked by his smile and his openness, and here's the backstory: is when I moved in 2020 to Sycamore, Illinois, I met Mr. Taco Bell. Jeff, I was just checking out Taco Bell. I wasn't ordering, I wasn't there. I went home and ate a kale salad, I promise. But I was there and just doing some research to check out local businesses, right? And in the drive-thru, this guy singing and rhyming and big smile. I thought, who the heck is this guy? And then I went back a different day. Just, you know, double research, make sure it's the same, not ordering again. And he's there again! And then a month or two after that, I saw his name, Mr. Taco Bell Guy, Mr. Taco Bell Guy, Mr. Taco Bell Guy coming out. All because of his enthusiasm, his work ethic, because he makes it look like working at Taco Bell is the best thing you could do with your life. And I was about ready to sign up. They had a little sign there, give up this pastoring thing. Put me up. Just put me on his shift. It's so easy to let our jobs dictate our work ethic. My job's enjoyable. My job's not the dream job. I hate my job. My going to work is a drudge. You know what? I'd actually rather die than spend another hour in my job. How could I possibly enjoy this place? How could I possibly do this with enthusiasm? Friends, it doesn't matter. We bring this internal joy, this excitement in us, and whatever we give our hand to, we give our heart to. Even if it's a mundane, day after day, mind-numbingly boring job, We'll do it with enthusiasm. The follower of Jesus will give his all to it. Friends, years ago, I worked in a factory, and it was a mind-numbingly boring job. It it was eight to ten-hour shifts, five to six days a week, and it was the kind of where you just push a button kind of job. And those jobs are good stepping stones in our lives. Sometimes those jobs gives us the money and the finances that we need to move on to the next thing, to the dream thing. And I was in a place in my life where that's what I was doing. But I applied the immigrant work ethic that my parents taught me. My father is a first generation Vietnamese man that came here during the war. My mother's a third generation immigrant Polish woman. My parents raised me to never take work for granted. They always saw it as a privilege and opportunity. When you got the chance to work, you worked and you worked hard, whether it was for money or weeding the garden. So in my job, I worked hard at the factory, and soon I was doing more than pushing a button. I was looking for things. I was scrubbing machines and sweeping floors and started doing more jobs outside of my job just because that's how I was raised. I really can't put it on myself. That's how my mom forced us. And if we didn't work like that, there was a spanking on the other side of it. So I worked really hard, and I just did it, and that's how she raised me. So that's what I did. And very quickly, within about a month or six weeks, the boss came to me, and gave me a a significant raise, about a 20% raise of what I was making. And he said, do not tell a single soul here, because there are people that have been working here for a decade, and they are still making what they made the first day they came in. Why are they giving me a raise? Because I was enthusiastic about it. Because the employee, the Christian worker, is the dream worker. It's the person that shows up on time to do their job. The person that does it, and then when they're done, they say, what else could I do? It's the person that can say, hey, can you do this? And they're responsible and steward it and do it well. It's the person that never speaks about the boss behind their back, never tears them down, supports the authority structure. What wouldn't be, what would there be to dislike about the Christian worker if we are living our life and working like Paul teaches us how to work? Christian worker, the person that follows Jesus and as an employee should be the dream employee. I want to tell you a quick story about Joseph. There's a man named Joseph in Genesis, and I'm going to give you the highlight version. It's a great read, a great story, and well worth your time. Thank you so much. And it's well worth your time to read it. So Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. He went from this nomadic prince type of person to a slave, and he found himself in the servant position of a great estate holder. He was such a good worker, though, that he became the right-hand man, and he oversaw the entire estate. But soon his master's wife began to try to seduce Joseph. And after seducing him again and again, she began to bring false accusations against Joseph. And because of this, he was stripped of his role, stripped of the position he had, and he was thrown into jail. From prince to slavery to servant, from second-hand manager back to jail, even worse position. Joseph was thrown into prison under false accusations. But again, Joseph's diligent work ethic, he was able to rise in position and rose as high as he could within the jail system. He was trusted. He was known. The guards would trust him with the other jail, people in jail. And year after year, he was there in jail, and he was there for years. But because of that, he was highlighted by God and shown favor, and through An incredible story, he found himself that he went from prison to the palace. And when he was in the palace, he demonstrated the same faithfulness he had in God, same work ethic, and he literally attained a position of power. Nobody in Egypt had more power, more authority than Joseph, except for Pharaoh himself. When Joseph spoke, it was speaking as Pharaoh, the the king of that nation, it was as if he was speaking for him. And why I tell you this story is because Joseph, no matter the circumstance, whether he was in the jail, whether he was living a life as a slave, whether he was living his life as a king or a prince, he applied the same God honoring faith to his position. He worked hard, he was diligent with what God gave him, but he did not let the authorities around him influence his faith. He could have given in to Potiphar, he could have crossed boundaries. He could have lived the best life in the world's eyes. that he remained true to his faith. What I don't want you to do is walk out of here and thinking, if I just work really hard, get a smile, I become the next Mr. Taco Bell guy, then I'll be running the state. Not necessarily. In the natural, you will gain lots of favor. Think about it. If you're this type of employee, your boss is going to love you. But also, you may come under real persecution. You may bump up against something that just does not allow you, does not coincide with you and your faith. And you may have to make a stand. And you may get punished in the secular world. But God sees you. And he, reward, he rewards what's done in the earthly things. And he gives you favor, and he gives you blessing. And you garner a reward when you still keep Jesus' name first in your life. Friends, we're almost done here. Ephesians 6, 9. It says, masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. At the end of these few verses, Paul has all the same things to say to the master, the employer, the boss. He says, honor. Develop a culture of honor. Make it your goal that you never share another person's business with somebody else. Never tell another employee the, the, the confidential things you're working out with them. Build your people up. Your goal is to pull the best out of them. Call out what they should be instead of what they are. Even if they fall short and make mistakes and need guidance, build a culture of honor, master, boss. You do it. Go build that culture of honor. It begins with you. It can never begin with somebody else. It begins with each individual. Live a life of integrity. Often the more powerful you get, the more power you attain, the more opportunity to be untruthful. Employers, live honestly, display lives of integrity, model for your people the type of employee that you want to be. People will naturally follow their lead. If they see you round up in a dishonest way, shave off an hour here or there, put the meal on the company card, then what do you think your employees will do? They follow your example. Live a life of integrity and work hard. Be the boss. Being a boss does not mean that you get to be lazy and have other people do your work. More authority means more power, and more power means more problems and more work. So set the example. But Paul gives one unique call to the master that he does not give to the employees. Be kind. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven. I'm going to read you this. I know we've covered a lot of stories and text today, but I think this is worth the time. This is in 1 Kings chapter 12, and there is a new king that was uh, put into position over the nation of Israel and Judah. And this is kind of his, his uh, union of address. He's coming together. Everybody's gathered to hear his first speech and to hear what he's going to do with the country. And these 12 verses set the tone. Rehoboam went to Shechem, where there Israel had gathered to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard of this, he returned from Egypt, for he had fled to Egypt to escape King Solomon. The leaders of Israel summoned him, and Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel went to speak with Rehoboam. Your father was a hard master, they said. Lighten the harsh labor demands and heavy taxes that your father imposed on us. Then we will be your loyal subjects. Rehoboam replied, give me three days to think this over, then come back with an, and then come back for my answer. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam discussed the matter with the older men who had counseled his father Solomon. What is your advice, he asked. How should I answer these people? The older counselors replied, if you are willing to be a servant to these people today and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your loyal subjects. Rehoboam rejected the advice of the older men, instead asked the opinion of the young men who had grown up with him and were now his advisors. More power, more responsibility. What is your advice, he asked them, how should I answer these people who want me to lighten the burdens imposed by my father? The young men replied, this is what you should tell those complainers who want a lighter load. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Yes, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them even heavier. My father beat you with whips. I will beat you with scorpions. And unfortunately, Rehoboam followed the advice of the young men. Instead of being kind and having an opportunity to lighten the load, to be a servant of the people, to be a servant to those that he led, he instead decided to use his power for selfishness and to lead out of pride. Instead of doing what he could do, he decided to let his pride and his own self-gain take dominance. Because of that, he lost the kingdom of Israel and he only had one town and got stripped the country away from that dynasty. He had the opportunity to win over everybody, but he blew it. If you're an employer in this room, if you have people under you that you dictate and command and they do what you say, you have employees, do not let this lesson fall far from you. Be kind, become a servant of your people. Serve them. Lead them through service. This is what Jesus taught us. He washed the disciples' feet. He gave his life for the church. Serve your people. And you will be well compensated and rewarded for that kind of action. Amen? Friends, the Christian boss should treat their employee with more care than any worldly organization because the Jesus follower boss knows that how I treat people is how I treat Jesus, and that when I serve them, those that I lead, I'm doing what Jesus did for me. The more power doesn't mean more gain, more power means more responsibility. So whether you're a boss or employee or a mix of both of these last week, let's go out this week and let's not say a bad thing in the workplace, only good things that build up. Let's be the same whether our boss is watching or not. No more mouse jigglers. Let's work with enthusiasm and a smile and take the throne from Mr. Taco Bell. And let's be kind to those we have authority over. Amen? Amen. Can we go out and be those kind of people this week? Amen. Let's do it.